Hi, this is Art Hinshaw from ASU College of Law. We're going to be doing hot topics for mediators. It's 11.02. Um, we're going to be starting at, we said 11.03. So I just wanted to make sure that um, we were all on the same page. And since um, Susan was kind enough to make this, I'm going to do, I'm going to put this on the screen. Just so we know where we are, right? Hot topics for mediators. That's what you see. Um, yes. Yes. All right. I see it. Good. So yes. now, now we're official. It really is. Hot topics for mediators. Like I said, my name is Art Hinshaw, and we have some uh, people coming in uh, the room. In fact, one of my former students, Darius, I just saw um, there. So it'll be good to see him on the line. I've got a fun fact about Darius that I'm going to um, pull out of my hat here in just a moment. Darius, how are you? Hey, Professor Hinshaw, how you doing? I'm doing great. Long time no see. Yeah, long time. Good to see you. Good to see you too. By the way, I'm going to tell everybody here your deep, dark secret about how you used to babysit for Robert Sarver's <laughs> kids. Oh. Please do. <laughs> Back when the suns were terrible. <laughs> anyway, the sun's theme, sun's going. Uh, hopefully they'll close it out tonight. Yeah, um, I'm doing great. Okay, go team. All right, I'm gonna stop the share and we're gonna get started here. So my name is Art Hinshaw. I'm a law professor at the ASU College of Law. We, uh, I've been working in the justice courts as a mediator since 2004 uh, through the Lodestar Mediation Clinic, Darius Samiri, who's on the line here is one of my former students. And my co-presenter is Susan Bullfinch. And Susan's been mediating in the justice courts since 2007. Um, just a couple things uh, about me. I uh, am currently on the ABA's Mediation Ethics Guidance Committee. I've been on all kinds of national and statewide uh, committees, both here, statewide here and statewide in Missouri. Um, and I've written a number of pieces um, that have helped shape mediation policy uh, in Arizona over the years and testified in front of the legislature um, as well. And my colleague, Susan Bullfinch, who teaches with me uh, in the mediation clinic. Uh, not only is she a great friend, she uh, is, uh, <clears throat> has a ton of mediation teaching experience as well. You taught in the UC system at UCSB and you teach at Irvine as well for a while? Yes, um, um, early on when for their extension certificate program there. So it was mediation and a few classes. Um, however, uh, the more recent thing is, of course, working with you on the mediation clinic. And so Art and I were excited to be asked to present um, not only the ethics workshop that some of you may have attended a few weeks ago, and then today on hot topics. So we're hoping to make this very interactive today. This is really, this will include within our agenda today, uh, a mediator roundtable. So you can ask pertinent questions that you have on your mind, and we're hoping that it will be a, an exciting program. Yeah, we uh, want to. We're hoping that we get a lot of um, opportunities. We're going to do some probably some scenarios where we will break out uh, into small groups as well. Also, I want to introduce Taj Rahilu, who is the administrator of the Justice Courts, who heads uh, heads up the uh, group of mediators and the pro tems and hearing officers. Um, as well. So um, 
I think what we're going to do, Taj, is we're going to start with you. We have a couple of questions here. I have a slide, so I'm just going to put them up real quick so that everybody can see them. <clears throat> so we've got a couple questions for you. Um, and the first one is one that's near and dear to our respective hearts, you and me, because we've been talking about this. And I know that uh, some people have uh, been asking for top you know, ideas or things to discuss. The idea of computer access for mediators has come up. And so I was wondering if you could tell us what the status of that is. Yes, thank you. So I get a lot of questions, usually kind of in a crisis moment when a mediator or sometimes a hearing officer is sitting in a court and discovers that they can't log in or thinks that they can't log in. So um, the, the short answer to the question is that yes, mediators will have computer access to CACTUS and uh, be given access codes. The long answer is a little more complicated because um, the switch from when mediators used to have access to when they thought they did not have access all occurred before my tenure. I just came into this position in August of last year. Um, however, so I am trying to parse together a lot of different communications that occurred before I took this position. But what I've been able to determine is that there was a transition when the office migrated to Office 365, and that transition changed logins and accesses. And at that point, mediators were told or believed that they no longer had access. What I've learned is that that's not actually correct. You all, and I have checked this with Ken Bradley, who's the supervisor in computer services, you all actually currently have network login access. However, it is um, misdesignated because they do not believe that mediators are supposed to be able to have access. However, you are all in the system as either pro tems or hearing officers. So we're in the process of trying to get that all fixed. It's going to take a little while, but our, our goal is to get you guys properly designated as mediators. Um, and then you will be given access as mediators. And the reason that's different is because there are two levels of access. The first level is what you need to get into the network. That's what CTS has previously been telling you guys that you're not authorized to get into the network as mediators, although you're already in the network as pro tem. Um, that's gonna change. You will be able to get into the network as mediators and you can currently, your network login is almost always your first name. So for example, art dot your last name, Henshaw at jbazmc.maricopa.gov. And then once you log in with your first name, dot last name at the jbazmcmaricopa.gov, or dot gov, it'll walk you through, I believe, how to set up your own personalized password. Mm -hmm. That will get you into the network. And for mediators, that will eventually, right now you guys have emails, but you're not supposed to. We're, we're going to eventually get you. So that just gets you internet access and network access. Um, then to get into Cactus, which is where your EDMS files are, that is a separate login. When you go to Cactus, you will use um, a generic login, which for mediators would be the court ID number, for example, 0701 mediate. And then you would get the password from the court manager because the passwords are maintained by the court managers of each justice court who are responsible for updating them as necessary. 
um, those are not your own individual passwords. And once you have access to the EDMS in there as a mediator, you will have view only access to those documents. That's a little different from what hearing officers and pro tems have because they have the ability to mark up the documents, edit or revise them. As a mediator, you won't have that access. You'll only have the access to view them. Um, but my understanding from ARP is that that's all you guys need in order to do your jobs effectively. So the short answer is yes, you have computer access. The long answer is it's a little bit of a complicated process that we're trying to fix because it was a little broken. Any questions? Right. Yes. I'm sure as you go forward, you will probably have questions when you're in that moment. If that happens and you're at a court and you're having trouble, um, just reach out to me through an email or a, a phone call and I'll be happy to try to help get you to the right person. But just so you know, the court managers maintain the passwords for the CACTUS system. I don't okay. have the passwords. Taj, that's great information. Ken, it looked like you have a question, but we're not getting audio from you. Can you type your question in the chat? Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, do you have a timeline, Taj, for when this might be, or do you not want to give a timeline just to be safe? I don't have a timeline. Um, these, th this process involves a lot of departments that are out of my control. And so um, this is a work in progress. I simply stay on top of the various departments that are navigating this, reminding and prodding them every so often, where are we at, has this happened? So for now, if you guys need to log into the network system, you should be able to. So for example, uh, even our new newest pro tems, Darius, your login to the network would be darius.amiri at jbaz.mc.maricopa.gov. And then you'd have to set your own personalized password. That's just for the network. Um, and I think what happens a lot of times when people are confusing the network and EDMS, those are two separate things, two separate entities, if you will, two separate apps with two separate logins. So your personalized login is to get to the network, which you have to be able to get to, to get to EDMS. Then once you get onto the network to get into EDMS, you double click on the eCactus or the OnBase, the eCactus, and then it will prompt you for a secondary login. That is the one, like I said, there's an, a specific a court identifier. You use that number and you can get it from the court. If you don't know what it is when you're at the court, ask them what's your court identifier and then mediate, it's all one word. And the M in mediate is capitalized. Um, and then you will get the login password for EDMS from that court manager. So you'll have to ask them. Sometimes what happens is they say, oh, I don't know, or we don't have that, or you, you need to reach out to the APT. I'm telling you now, I don't, I don't maintain those. This is coming straight from Maria Santiago, who, as you all know, is the person who's the EDMS guru. She has told me that it is the court managers that have been assigned passwords, and they are responsible for updating those. So if your court manager doesn't have it or doesn't know, then your court manager will have to deal directly with Maria Santiago to see how to get that updated. That's not something that I'm involved in in that process. That goes straight between the courts and um, the court uh, and uh, Maria Santiago. Uh, the question, when do you get access? You will have, 
when you do get access, you'll have to change your password every four to six weeks. Um, so yes, my understanding is that it's a 90 day time frame that you get knocked out of the system if you don't, if you're not active. Um, I'm not sure if that's exactly the same for how often you need to change your password, but because it is not, because you guys are volunteers and not employees and you do not have a full access uh, network, um, network login, your accounts kind of automatically deactivate if they're not used regularly. And I believe that that is a 90 day cycle. So if you're not going into the court at least once a month and using your, your words, you might want to kind of log in at some point on a computer network just to keep it active. And then I believe the system will prompt you when it needs the password, when it's coming close to the password needing to be changed or updated. So just try to stay on top of that because if your, if your network login gets shut down, the only people who can reactivate it are the people at the computer uh, services desk, not me. Okay. Well, thank you, Taj, for that. Um, I was just going to say, uh, Art and I have found that we were doing some of these mediations and we were not, or I was told that I, uh, mediators couldn't get access. And I think I shared that with you, Taj, before, that we have asked some of the clerks to provide a copy of the complaint and the answer. And that has served us well. I don't know if anybody else is doing that, but for some of the courts that I am mediating for now that are doing it telephonically, and we'll talk about that later, uh, when they provide that information, at least it gives me a little bit more. That's uh, correct. They can, they can also email you those documents. They don't have to actually print out hard copies. They have the capacity within the EVMS system yes. to send that yes. as emails to you. So if you know beforehand that you're going to be mediating in a court, like, in a week or the next day. Right. Um, if you reach out to the court manager the day before and ask them to email you those files um, or those documents that you will be hearing, they can email it to you so you can look over them the day before. Yeah, so that helps. So that brings up our next question for you, Taj. Thank you, thank you very much for that. If anybody has any questions, chime in. Um, in your opinion, I'm just asking your opinion now because I don't know if you know the rest is, Will Justice Court continue to be, uh, I guess, promoting telephonic mediation in this year? So the, the short answer to that is I don't know. And okay. the long answer to that is because there are 26 different justice courts. Obviously, not all of them use, use mediators. But of those that do, which is a little bit less than half, um, they're, in a sense, all their own little independent world fiefdoms. And so that is uh, something that each court will have to decide. I know that there has been a lot of discussion within the bench about the continuation of uh, telephonic appearances for things like eviction matters, um, for, for other issues that appear mm -hmm. in front of justice courts. And there are pros and cons to, to allowing that. And I don't know how the bench is going to come down on that yet because they don't seem to know definitively how they're going to come down on that for other issues. So I imagine that would be the same with mediation. As soon as I do learn of a policy, if there is one implemented, I will let you guys know through a group blast email. Um, just a hand in glove here. Is there any discussion of 
potential timeframes to regular back in person in the courts, or is this sort of wait and see? The Delta variant is pretty dangerous, it sounds like, so we're gonna hold off for a while. What's the what's the status on that? By the way, this is an unofficial question, Taj. I, sure, I'm not trying sure. to trap you or anything. We didn't, no uh, worries, I, I can't be trapped simply because I know very little on those topics because as I said from, from the bench meetings, I think this is something that the bench is still wrestling with from JP to JP, you know, there, there's a large spectrum of opinions um, on how the benefit, the cost benefit analysis when they're weighing the, the benefits of the, the increased participation, which is one of the things that we're seeing from having virtual hearings um, with the downside of that, which is you don't have that face-to-face -face interaction. Um, it, it's a little bit harder on the staff. There's more work involved for the staff in, in doing virtual with documents that need to go back and forth. So I don't know that there's a consensus and I don't know that there's even necessarily a requirement that a consensus be reached. It may be that individual JPs do different things in their individual courts. Uh, you know, as we all know, they're elected officials, so they report only to their constituents. And um, as to a time frame, if uh, as to bringing people back in, there's a lot of discussion on that as well. And there doesn't seem there are no firm times that have been put out. It definitely seems to be something that is still in the wait and see mode. Um, and there's also discussion as to how the workplace is potentially going to change as a result of what we've learned is possible um, with remote working because of COVID. So I think these are discussions that are not restricted just to MCJC. I think these are discussions that our nation is having as a whole. And I think that COVID has created a lot of opportunities um, for workplaces and employers to rethink what the workplace, the modern workplace may look like. And so I don't know yet, again, because the bench hasn't hasn't set a time frame, nor does it look like there are any dates in, in mind. My understanding is that the person who ultimately makes the call will be the um, chief of the superior court for each uh, superior for each county. Is that like, isn't that what the, the Supreme Court said? You know, this is what we want. Chiefs, you all uh, do, you, you know, you make the call for your specific county based on these metrics or something like that. Is that uh, that that's what I that's what I'm hearing. It's kind of been discussed, but I don't know if that's a definitive statement of a shall or if it's more of a a may. Um, in, in, you know, in, in legal parlance, I don't know if there's been a a clear directive that that is the way it will will go. Um, but then again, there have been many, many, many bench meetings that go for many, many, many hours. And it is possible that I might not have been paying as close of attention uh, during that discussion. So um, I'm, not, I'm not certain. Okay, but I, so. what I am certain of is that there is no time frame that has been established at this time for everyone to return back in person. All right, so that, that makes sense. Um, so it sounds like telephonic mediations are the norm until we hear otherwise. Until we hear otherwise. And that norm may vary from court to court. Right. Okay. 
Um, one last question here. I'm going to share my screen again, just so that everybody can see the question number three. And that is, have you received any feedback on the justice court mediation forms one way or another about how they're fantastic, they need to change any, have you heard anything along this line? Um, Sorry, go ahead. No, please. I have not heard back anything from the courts or the court staff regarding the mediation forms. And so I take that as a good thing because kind of silence is a sense. Um, no word is, is a good word. Um, I also think that it's been a very odd year and a half due to COVID and there have just not been as many mediations as there would be, I think, in a typical year. And so everything this year is kind of an asterisk year, 2020. Everything is just different. Um, and so I think we'll get a better sense going forward in the upcoming year cycle if there are any issues with forms or anything that maybe needs some, some tweaking. As I learn of them, I will certainly share them in group blast. I think you've all seen that if there's something that I think is educational or a resource or informational purposes that you need to do your job effectively, I usually shoot it out to you guys all as a group blast, and then you're welcome to follow up with me with any specific questions you might have about that. All right, and I have one last question. You sent an email out about this um, the other day uh, about COJET requirements and getting in touch with everybody on that, and I just wanted to ask you sort of you know, so, when, when, when should we expect to hear from you on this? What's the plan going forward? Yes, so I have prepared a little PowerPoint for the roundtable, the mediator roundtable that we had, um, and we ran out of time. And so Charles has suggested that I cover that information in the hot topics. So if you guys would like, I can kind of quickly, with, and I can send you a copy of the PowerPoint so that you guys can see it. But um, I don't know. I don't know that you actually have it. Did Charles send it to you, Art? Because I know you have. I do not have it. If okay. you have it, I can make you um, a co-host, and then we, you could share your screen. I do have it. I just don't know how I share my screen because I haven't done that before. But if you can make me a co-host, I can try to. All right. So you're a co-host, and at the bottom, uh, there should be some, a little green arrow that points up that says okay. "Share Screen." Oh, I see. Um, so when you hit that, then a bunch of like everything that's on your, there you go. Perfect. Do you have it? Can you guys see it? Yeah. APT. What do I do? Okay. So let me, I'm going to very quickly run you through that. You guys can read and I'll also send you a copy of it when I send out the group last about this, this uh, training. So I won't go through all of it, but this is what I do. This is my role. Um, you guys can read it on the screen. Um, this is where you can find the policies that affect mediators. There are bench policies affecting both pro tem, uh, or all pro tems, hearing officers, and mediators. These are the policies that directly impact you guys. You can find them on Hightail as well, or you can go into the shared O drive if you're able to access that from the network. Um, and I'll attach a copy when I send out the, the email. These are the things that you guys are asking about, the deadlines. So this year is the first year we changed the deadline for reapplications for reappointments. The new deadline is August 15th. It used to be September, August, the end of August, but now it's August 15th. Um, and so as a result, I ask that all of your work hours 
and cogent requirements and such are completed prior to, uh, sorry, my phone, my home phone never rings until I'm in a Zoom. Um, I ask that those be completed by August 1st as a courtesy. I do ask that you guys do that. And this is why, because I need to get all of that completed for over a hundred people in a very short time frame. And if you wait until the last minute of August 15th, it really just is very time sensitive information and it just makes it really difficult to get that task done. So co-jet requirements should be completed by August 1st, even though the application deadline is August 15th. Um, all of our training through NCJC is done by the end of July, as far as the courses that we offer that can meet your requirements. Um, in case you haven't noticed, there are a flurry of co-jet trainings that happen between usually about April to July. Everything that you should need in order to meet those co-jet are in that time frame. if you haven't kind of done your own or picked up a few along the way from August through April. So if you're missing something, you can grab it before the deadline. And, and that's what we're asking that you get those done by August 1st. As you know, your mediation requirements are 15 mediations per annual cycle. Our cycle is not the calendar year, it's the application cycle. So basically August 1st to July 31st. Um, if it's your first year like Darius, then we only ask for nine because that's prorated. But this year because of COVID, it's waived altogether. So most of you actually have already done more than your, your required number of mediations. But for those of you who have not, it, it doesn't matter this year, but it will matter in subsequent years. So just be aware. Um, the co-jet is still being required despite the pandemic because we made it virtual. Whereas normally, um, and pay attention to this because for those of you who are new, you're gonna think you can always do virtual trainings. That not, might not be the case. Normally trainings have to be live and attended in person to be credited. Um, because of the pandemic, we moved all of our training to online through podcasts and virtual, and we're getting credit for that during this time period. I can't guarantee that once things go back to normal, that that will continue to be the case. That is being discussed as well. There's discussion as to whether to allow continued virtual trainings or if we are going to absolutely require returning to in-person. But four hours isn't hard to get. Um, you do have to have one hour of ethics in that four hours. Every year you have to renew your computer safety network training, which is online on the hub. And every odd year, so that includes this year, you have to do a workplace anti-harassment, anti-discrimination training. Um, if you can't do that, the presiding judge who is now, as of tomorrow, Judge Anna Huberman, Judge Russell is going to be stepping down and starting tomorrow, effectively, um, Judge Huberman will be the new presider for a two-year term. The presiding judge can make exceptions if there is a good cause, okay? Um, I've already discussed that Kojak credit's only awarded for in-person usually, but right now virtual. It is also only for NCJC-sponsored Kojaks. Um, so if you guys are doing a Kojak that is a, a, a training that is not sponsored by us, you'd have to get pre-approval from Judge Huberman for that to count. Um, you can't just send me the Kojet afterwards and say, here are my credits. Um, it had to have been pre-approved. So please reach out to her for that pre-approval. Um, 
COAs, I say COA a lot because it saves a lot of time, but I get questions all the time. What's a COA? A COA is a certificate of attendance. Um, every training that's COJET eligible will have a COA attached. Um, some trainings are not COJET eligible and thus there will be no COA attached. Uh, you have to send those to me and to Keenan DeWitt and his email is on this uh, training, uh, on this uh, presentation. All trainings aren't recorded. So sometimes if you miss the training because, because some are copyright violations that won't allow us to upload them to YouTube. So sometimes there are COJET eligible trainings that if you didn't attend in person, you won't be eligible to get credit for it because, and by in person, I mean virtually, if you didn't attend as it was happening virtually, um, because there won't be a recording for you to watch. So just be aware of that. This gives you information on how you can access the hub if you have any questions about the hub, Keenan DeWitt is the hub guru. He is the person that I will be directing you to. If you reach out to me, that's fine. You can reach out to me, but I'll just pass you on to Keenan. He knows everything about how the hub works. Um, and then how do you get work? You call the courts. I've sent you guys all a list of the courts that accept mediators and do mediations. Call those court managers, set up relationships with them, tell them you're a mediator, tell them you're interested in mediating, you would love to be in their court, and just, you know, reach out, make yourself available if they call at the last minute, continue to reach out over the, you know, the months uh, until they get to know you. That's really the best way and be available to pick up assignments. Usually the courts already have mediators they have established relationships with, but maybe those mediators might not be available. So make sure they know you're available and that you're open to it. And that's it, where you can get past virtual training videos and past written materials is all listed here. And like I said, I'll send that out to all of you guys. So did that answer all of your questions? And were you able to see each of the, the slides as I went through them? Um, I certainly I'm, was. Was everybody great. else? Thumbs up? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. That's great, because I was going to ask you, I was going to say, so how do we get into the <laughs> hub? What's that? You know, all this stuff. So it's right there you'll send it to us it's going to be perfect um so thank you so much uh for that taj really good Great. information and can you now remove me so that i'm not sharing the rest of my screen i don't know how to yeah so you, you should have some share. there you yeah, go i was gonna say you it. should have end share and if you want i will take away go. your uh i will remove your co-host permission so um no pressure if you make a boo-boo on your laptop um yeah, I'm like, you, I, you guys will have all kinds of like excel spreadsheets and crazy notes up there um fantastic by the way just just as a reminder for those of you who are attorneys it is june 30th which also means cle day is today so just a friendly reminder on that well this takes me to um I, I wanted to walk through the forms really quickly, and then I have a specific question or a couple of specific questions uh, that I want to share. So I'm going to share my screen. Um, you know, maybe I should do this. Do any of you have any questions about what Taj just said or anything that we've covered so far before I switch on start walking through the forms quickly? And one quick thing I forgot to add, I put it in a group email blast to, to all of you, but I just want to remind you. I'll be sending an updated COJET status report to all of you, everyone, the ProTEMS hearing officers and mediators in early July, I'm having Keenan run that report for me at the beginning of July 1st, so that we can try to get these trainings, today's trainings in. You'll need to submit your COA right away if you want this one to be uploaded into the system and in the report that I give you. 
um, because this will be the last status report I send out. From July to August, it gets very busy for me as I'm getting applications out and starting to investigate. You guys will then have to keep track of whatever you do from there for, for that last month to see, oh, I know from my report of July 1st that I'm missing protection orders or I'm missing two hours. You have to keep track and make sure you have your two hours because at that point, as of August 15th, if you haven't met your requirements, you're not eligible for reappointment. My update will be as of basically July 1st. So any training you do after July 1st, because there is training in July, you just want to keep keep track of it, make sure you're sending in your COA to me and Keenan so that they get uploaded into the system. And we can expect a COA from you for this program later today? Um, yes, you can expect a COA from me for this program within 24 hours is what I usually Tomorrow. Right. As you guys know, I usually get it to you usually within an hour because I try to get it to you as soon as I get it. Um, but I say 24 hours to be safe. And I will just say as a, a personal thing, uh, for those of you who've been around for a little while, you, you'll know this for those of you who are new, that's kind of a new thing. I just started sending out the blank COAs to everyone when I took it over in this position. Previously, you guys kind of had to dig around for it yourself. It's always at the end of the training materials. It's, it's a courtesy thing I do. I certainly don't mind doing it, but I will say, it, it does get a little frustrating when I get two or three emails from individuals who've gotten the COA and the materials, who've gotten a personalized blank COA for me when I send out the group blank COAs, and who have access to it at their will on Hytel, but then still want me to send them a fourth COA because they didn't pay attention to the email, the training materials, Hytel, or the blank COA that I sent. So please remember, this is always available. You can find it for yourself on Hytail. It's at the end of the training materials. Um, and I do generally send it out. That's all I'll say on that. <laughs> I'll have okay. it out within 24 hours. Fantastic. No, that's, that's, that's great. It's good to... Uh... It's good to have you taking care of us. I know that yes. I appreciate it. I think everybody else does. Thank you, Taj. And, yes. and I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to do it. <laughs> good, good. Well, um, speaking of happy, let's talk about happy things like mediation forms. Um, I'm going to share my screen on this real quick. Um, this first form, can everybody see this OK? Can I get the thumbs up if you can see it all right? OK. Um, this is the first form. Actually, it's not the first one. This is the first form um, for the mediator checklist. And I just have a, a question. Does any, is this an important form for everybody? Is this one that we still need to go through? Um, does anybody refer to this on a regular basis? Maybe it's good for, uh, to have new people. Um, any comments on this form? As a new mediator this year, it was helpful in my first few mediations, but um, going forward, I'm aware of all the requirements. And so I pull it out and check the boxes each time. Okay. All right. So helpful, Jason. Darius, this will be like, uh, you know, flexing an old muscle, right? Okay. Darius, were you saying something? Because uh, you're on mute there. Oh uh, no, I said it looks like the same one from when we did the clinic. When when were you in the clinic? 
gosh, like 2010. Okay, so 11 years ago, that makes, that sounds about right, yeah. Because I don't think these forms have actually changed much in the last 10 years, which is pretty much why I wanted to bring them up just to see if there's something that we as mediators who work with these forms on a regular basis think, you know, maybe this should change um, a little bit. Um, and so Darius, it's good to have you back on, back on the team. All right, so this one, the ground rules statement. What's our thought on this one? Does anybody uh, have an opinion on this form? I know that there was a time when people used to go through these uh, one by one as a part of beginning mediations. Um, but I, my experience is that those of us who have been around for a while don't use this one very much. Rocco, is that consistent with your experience? We use it at all. I mean, you know, we just go through, you know, it's the routine. All right, so you, you came through a little scratchy there. I'm not sure that we were able to understand you. No user, I the feedback I'm getting is already scratched through. But uh, I don't use this at all. You know, it's, it's all good. Um, okay. I don't use it. All right. So these are. This is one that maybe some of the experienced people don't use. Jason, what about you? Uh, speak in a civil manner to everyone. The actual ground rules sheet. I, I use it because, again, I thought it was required for us to use it for the justice court mediations. But I don't know that there's a whole lot of value in going through the whole list. Okay, because I think that some of a lot of this is part of what we regularly begin mediations with. Um, so, all right, so that's the that's any other comments on this document? Yes, I, I, I would agree with that. This is uh, John Campbell. I uh, it, it, it just seems a lot, you know, to, to have to read every time. And I also thought it was a, a requirement to read it. So, um, seems a little much. Okay, so I'm, all right. Well, I don't know that actually this form actually is a requirement for us to mm -hmm. do. Um, Susan, do you think, is it you? Uh, no, I, I would think that it, in some of the training, there are just some things for, I think, mediators to be aware of. I think if you're a new mediator, maybe it is helpful. Uh, when you're first doing some of your opening statements to reflect on some of these. I think what most of us are doing as experienced mediators is we're taking from this maybe some language and incorporating it into our own opening statements. But um, I'll just speak for myself. I'm not reading these, you know, one, two, three, four, five, straight down. Um, but being courteous or refraining from personal attacks, things like this, I think you can incorporate in your own opening, if that makes sense. Oh, that totally makes sense. I think that in, when this program began and the mediation program began in the 90s, it was required uh, because I've seen some videos of mediations uh, before the year 2000 um, and everybody was going through and reading these um, like that. And I think it's just been a carryover um, since the very beginning. 
All right, so the mediation disclosure and confidentiality agreement, we all love it, we all know it. Um, any, any questions or comments about this one? I don't see any questions or comments. There's one thing that I have, I, I'd like to point out, um, and Taj, you might want to note this down. When it talks about ARS 122238 and exceptions one through four, actually, it should be exceptions one through five now. They have an exception for reporting child abuse and or adult abuse. Um, so that's changed since this uh, form was written. And then anything else with the signatures or anything along those lines? Why does the mediator need to print their name twice and sign the document twice and date the document twice? That's a good question, Jason. Um, the mediator does not have to do that. Sometimes we have two mediators per room. And so in that case, if Susan and I are gonna mediate together, then both of us have a place to sign and date. Ah, good to know. <laughs> Yes, right. those were for um, co-mediation often. When the program first started, uh, there was co-mediation for a few of these and for training. Um, so that's right. Um, and I know that like when I'm working with students, sometimes Susan and I will be in the room and there'll be a student as well. All three of us will sign here and we'll sign on. We'll make our own lines or something along those lines. Um, but I don't think that uh, um, John and others who are experienced uh, sign on both. By the way, I switch on, I don't always sign on the left side just because, um, you know, I don't want people to think I'm the plaintiff's mediator or something like that because obviously we're not affiliated with one side or the other. So uh, I change it up here and again. <laughs> All right, mediation agreement. This is when there's a deal. Um, and uh, just to go over these things very uh, quickly. By the way, I remember when this form was just almost a bunch of blanks um, to fill out. And so this has been structured a lot, but I don't think it's really been um, changed much for the last 10 to 12 years. Um, so just a reminder, this first one is when somebody makes a payment at the table, right? Um, when Ken pays Rocco $100, right there, that's it. That's the first one, when somebody pays somebody else. By the way, there used to be, people used to ask questions, do I have to photocopy the cash or anything like that? And the answer is no, don't photocopy the cash. Uh, this is like the receipt for lack of a better term. The second one down is when um, Susan agrees to pay um, Rocco, you know, $500 next Friday or by next Friday. She can pay at any time, but it's a one payment at a certain amount of days in the future. So I haven't seen this one very much. Usually people, um, you know, go with more of a payment plan, but this is a good one to give people an extra day or two just to be safe, right? If they're gonna say Friday, why don't we just give you the weekend as well and go with Monday? 
This third one is the one that's a little bit confusing for payment plans. And I know that, um, you know, I take the summer off and I don't do any mediations. And when I come back, I always have to remember that. So if this is a situation where uh, Susan is going to pay me, Susan Bullfinch agrees to pay Art Hinshaw, what's the full amount? This last blank. So if she's going to pay me $1,000, Susan will pay Art 1000 you want to do that last blank first because otherwise you might get confused because this first set of blanks, the sum of $100 the first day of July 2021, people will get confused on sort of where the money is supposed to go because the next one, the sum of $100 for, you know, then we're not going to say we're taking that first payment out of the full amount, right? So if it's $1,000, $100 a month for 10 months, then it's the sum of $100 for nine months because the first payment is already listed out here. The second, the rest of the payments are listed first. So this might be something, Taj, if you flag it, that we might wanna work on straightening this one out a little bit to make it a little bit more logical where Susan agrees to pay Art $1,000 um, with a first payment on this day until you know, the sum has been fully paid or something along those lines. But I'm happy to talk with you about that. And I think the rest of this um, is pretty smooth. How is it gonna be paid? To whom, where is it gonna be paid, mailed or hand delivered? And this last part, is pretty critical because we know what a stipulated judgment is, right? A stipulated judgment means you get a judgment automatically against you. You are agreeing to have, if you're the defendant, a judgment placed against you if the payment is late. So if we're gonna set up a payment plan, the payment plan needs to give a little bit of cushion so we don't, so somebody just doesn't get hammered, right? So people will say, oh, I can always pay by the fifth. And well, you know, maybe there's a mail problem. I don't know about you, but I found out over COVID that I don't always get the mail every day. Sometimes the mail, whoever's delivering the mail skips the house or it just whatever happens. So we'd like to build in a little bit extra time because a stipulated judgment against somebody is a pretty big um, deal. Now, one thing that I do wanna point out about this document is that we don't use this very often if a payment plan, or at least this third part, if a payment plan is gonna be more than six months long, right? And we know what the reason for that is, um, which is the next document we're gonna look at. So before we get to that, is there anything else that anybody wants to point out? Or ask questions about? I always count to five Mississippi, by the way, so to make sure that somebody has enough time to think. Um, one thing about this other agreement, sometimes you do have something that doesn't quite fit the just transaction of money back and forth, or these uh, specific, um, the first three lines, the first three check boxes of the form don't quite fit. 
So we can use the other agreement pretty easily, but if your other agreement is complicated, what you should put here is see attached sheet and then write it down where then everybody can understand on an attached sheet. I know I've had to do that a couple of times, but not a lot. Susan, have you had to do this very much? Not too much. My question was, I have had attorneys, maybe you're going to get to that, that have said, we want to use our stipulated judgment form. We don't want the courts. So if you're a mediator sitting there and at this form, mediation agreement, I might use the other agreements box and make a notation in there to the effect the parties have entered into um, an agreement or a full agreement, see down below, full agreement. Um, and plaintiff will be sending to defendant a stipulated judgment to be signed and filed with the court right. or something to that effect. Um, I would like to fill out the rest of it, but sometimes if you get a backlash, they prefer theirs over this one, you might want to at least make a notation on this form about that and have them sign if they can, or you're signing down below. Yeah, that's interesting because I, my experience is, is that um, like frequent players, repeat players, attorneys will not use this agreement at all. And will take us to the mediation outcome notice, which is the, um, where I usually handle the point that you are discussed that you brought up, Susan, and it's a really good one. And it's one of the things that I do want us to discuss. So then we have the signatures notice mediator doesn't sign. Why? Because you're not a part of this contract. You're not a party to it. So there's no need for us to be a witness. All right. And the mediation outcome notice, as we know, basically tells the court what happened today. Um, so the first one is nobody showed. The second one is um, the defendant failed to show. The third one is the plaintiff failed to show. Okay, so that's pretty clear there. Um, no agreements. Uh, you know, we've all had those situations where parties can't get along um, and don't, don't come to an agreement. Now, here's the thing. Partial agreements. I haven't had partial agreements very much. Um, in fact, I probably had them a handful, maybe five in my experience. So I haven't seen those very much in the times that we were having them was when HOAs were really hot and heavy um, during the recession. Um, they were really pushing. And what we were saying is that we would have a situation where the HOA was like, let's just say $1,500 or $1,500. And then the attorney's fees on top of that were $8,000. And somebody would say, I'll pay the 1500. I'm not gonna pay 8,000, that's ridiculous. And so we would say, okay, we have a partial agreement. We're gonna to agree to the debt itself. And then you can go to uh, a trial on the attorney's fees going forward. Um, Susan, have you seen other places for partial agreements? No, were we thinking, um... I guess you and I were talking about maybe the word conditional. Um, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. That's the topic that I want to get into with what you were okay. discussing. I'm just here asking about the, where you settle one part and you can write it down, but you can't the other part. Basically, there's right. fewer issues for hearing going forward is the partial agreement. 
right is a partial one. And my question was more of um, if we've had the uh, several in which we scheduled a second mediation. I think that was a question I was going to ask for people. And in scheduling a second mediation, they might have picked some time frame within 60 days or 90 days. But if they have negotiated close to a deal, but they haven't formalized it, um, the question that I think comes to some of our students and us, how can we memorialize that in some way because they've made some good efforts say in an hour hour and a half so we have used other or i'm asking you if you want to talk about this now using sure. to memorialize that yeah and this is the one i think i'm going to stop to share for just a moment here um this is the one that i think that uh, we see a lot and ken are you able to join us um yeah, your audio is still not operational. I'm not sure what's going on. Um, hmm, sorry about that. So this- Words don't go to meetings, so I don't understand what, okay. Um, I'm gonna exit and come back in. Okay, I can barely hear that. So that sounds like a good idea. I'll let you back in when you pop back up. So um, the one, the issue that I wanted us to, to discuss is when we have the situation that we've all had, maybe we've all had, where we have a debt collection case, somebody can pay $50 a month and it's gonna be for three years or two years. And the attorney for the debt collection company says, I'm not gonna use your forms. I'm gonna send them my own form. How do we fill out the mediation outcome notice then? Right, because they have a deal, they, they, they've said that they agree, they've worked out all the terms. Now somebody has to write it up and they typically do that. Uh, but our form says you either have an agreement, a partial agreement or no agreement. Um, so any, sug any uh, suggestions on sort of what you all do, what um, you all think might be best to do in this situation? Uh, it's this is uh, Paul Lambert. Um, seems to me like maybe it's uh, it's a tentative agreement. Um, I haven't used that terminology before, but it could be a tentative agreement subject to X Y Z preparing the paperwork and signed by both parties by within so many days. You know. So you're suggesting to add a box for tentative agreement? I'm just talking off the top of my head. I have no idea whether I'd have to think about it somewhere. It's just a thought. Um, I I don't, that hasn't come up very much for me. I'll say that yet. Attorneys, uh, many times they've got the stipulated judgment form, which, which is obviously a lot more detailed comprehensive than what the court's form is and once they get agreement they go okay here it is you know five or six page document and that kind of supersedes everything uh but but it happens right then uh, as at the end of mediation so uh 
you know, maybe uh, a spot for tentative agreement. Okay, I see some, one of our phone callers uh, looks like he's trying to say something. Well, you know what, what I was going to say is in that case, I mean, if, if it seems pretty certain, um, usually I'll just say, I'll indicate on, on the outcome notice that parties uh, will file uh, full agreement uh, with stipulated judgment and covenant not to execute, you know, usually. And, and it seems like that's been working. Right. And so okay. the clerk follows up with it. I mean, that's our assumption is that within 30 days or right. 60 days. Okay. Has anybody been filling out no agreement? I typically write no agreement, but to set up for trial, you know, 60 to 90 days for parties to continue to um, reach an agreement very close to some narrative on that. But because technically there isn't an agreement. So that's just me. Right. Now, this is this is what I wanted to capture is that we have we're all probably doing this a little bit differently. Um, and it doesn't necessarily capture what really happens. Um, Ken, you want to give a try now? Yeah, we're no luck for us. What about you, Rocco? What are you doing? Well, I agree with uh, there's no agreement, there's no agreement. Uh, and so I always advise the people, they always come to agreement and submit them to the court, the millions. Before the, you know, before the, before the trial, uh, well, notation that they have tried in good faith, possibly, but rarely. You either have an agreement or you don't. Uh, you know, well, it's one of the judgments we, the judge say, well, there's a possible agreement. You know, what does it mean? You know, right. It's like being, you know, you are or you are. Please just move on you have one or you don't. I see somebody from the phone. No? Okay. Um, so what I've been doing in, in these cases is I've been putting no, I've been scratching the no agreement and then the other as well. And then in the other, putting the basic terms of what the deal is so that there's at least some protection uh, for, you know, usually an unrepresented party, um, so they can make sure that they understand what the terms were, because these usually aren't too complicated. Um, but I'm wondering, uh, Paul has all suggested a tentative agreement. Is that is that let's let's chew on that a little bit. Is that something that we think? might be helpful, could it be under no agreement or something like that? And then other, or do we just leave these as they are? I don't know if you have tentative agreement, what, what does that mean? Um, I think the, you'd have to have a direction. Does that mean a second mediation? Does that just mean it's for their own edification? If you're court staff, what do you do with tentative? Um, I, I, I like it in some ways, but I think we've been doing it by filling out other as that. 
uh, I, I just don't know what happens if somebody gets this. Right. Um, Taj, may I ask you a question on this? Sure. So um, just a little input here. People come to an agreement, but they don't want to use the court forms. They don't, they'll say, you know, I don't want to use your forms. I'm going to send this stuff to everybody else. We're done here. Um, I'll send you the form, you know, I'll send defendant, I'll send you the forms in the next week, send them back to my office, and then this is done. Um, what's the best way that you would like for us to capture these here? And like I was saying before, what, what Susan and I have been suggesting is that we do the no agreement. And then, and then um, other. Uh, I'm going to share the screen real quick. And I'm getting, I'm getting an echo. I'm getting. Yeah, Ken, did you call in? Because yeah. Ken, if, if you called in, why don't you, why don't you just be on the phone then, or turn your turn your microphone off on your computer? I am. Okay, thank you. Okay, am I in the meeting now? Yeah, we we can hear you. Right. And there's okay, no feedback. Good. There's no feedback. Okay, so um, one, one thing, yeah, Art, one thing on a tentative agreement, if, if you have attorneys involved, they're not going to go for that. And the reason being, if that tentative agreement doesn't pan out, you're going to have arguments on both sides. And then if we check no agreement, the court train keeps going as it was going to go anyway. <coughs> it keeps that part. Yeah, and it, yeah, Art, in five years, I've had one partial agreement where we settled on the issue, but it was attorney's fees. And all I put on the, on the deal out there was judge to decide attorney's fees. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally makes sense. Um, all right, so I'm going to hand it back to you, Taj, with the question, do you think it's best in these situations where there's a tentative agreement for us to check no agreement and then other or just no agreement? So I preface this with the, the statement that I'm not a mediator. <laughs> Um, and so, and, and nor do I know how mediations typically flow. I haven't had the opportunity to view any of the mediations. Um, but I would think it would be somewhat fact or case specific because it would really vary on exactly what tentative agreement has been reached and how, um, how much of the agreement is actually substantively agreed to with and i'm not sure who it was on the phone but like you said like with a small portion still to be settled or, or resolved or if there's really i think it's one of those things that you would have to call in the moment for the mediator who's sitting there and knows the intricacies of what's being mediated how much of it is truly settled and how much remains to be resolved whether it's more appropriate to check no agreement or the other option, which is the, the tentative agreement, no agreement, other, um, and specifying the few details that still need to be worked out. Um, 
So is it a problem for the court if we check two boxes here, no agreement and other? That I do not know. So I'm going to make a note and I'm going to send out a request to the court managers asking them uh, for those that handle mediations if that is an administrative issue or concern for them. So specifically, your question is whether or not you can check two boxes. Right, like the no agreement and the other box. I will find out yeah. and then I will let you guys know what the response is. And just to, to clarify, uh, here's a, this, this is John. Uh, you know, in a, in a situation where everything has been verbally agreed upon, there's no uncertainty in the moment, and, and the only thing that remains is just that the uh, forms have to be sent out and signed and returned and filed. Are, are you kind of advocating for, for that to be classified as no agreement as well as the other box? Correct. That, that's the way okay. I think it work, that is captured best um, by the data because I can see Taj running reports someday saying, well, we're not getting agreements in debt collection cases, you know, and then we all know who do them that actually we're getting agreements. They're just not signing these forms. Okay. It's, it's the way that these forms are, that are um, kind of, they're very blunt instruments, which makes sense because as some people were saying, you either have an agreement or you don't. <laughs> so that's why the mediation agreement, that middle form that you were showing, should be filled out in some fashion or memorializing because then you'd have a, a mediation agreement that says at the end, this is a full agreement. If I have a question for uh, someone who doesn't do mediation, so I don't know how this works. Is it possible if the individuals who are participating and don't want to fill out their forms, they want to go back and, and submit their own? Can you do both? Can you do? Can you still complete your necessary forms and still allow them to go back and memorialize it in their own form fashion so that it's kind of a duplicate? Well, yeah. You know, it seems like, like a, a, some of the attorneys don't want that. They, they're very adamant that they don't want a, a mirror, and then some don't seem to mind. But it, it, it does seem to vary. Right. Typically, if it's going to be like if they're doing payments for three or four months, sometimes they're okay using the court agreement form. Um, if it's going to go out over six months, because the mediation outcome notice basically says you have six months and then this is off the calendar. And, you know, our debt collection plaintiffs are not going to let go of the pressure of having the calendar without a stipulated judgment. Um, so, uh, but John is right. The situation where they've got a deal, they just don't want to use the paperwork. They don't even use that middle form. And I'll show you which one, Taj. I'll put it back on the on the um, screen here. This is the media, this is the mediation outcome notice. Hold on just a second, Ken. Um, so this is the mediation okay. agreement when we've reached a deal that we fill out, and so we sometimes fill it out, sometimes we don't fill it out. The mediation outcome notice, we fill this out every time. Even when the parties don't show up, we fill it out because we tell the court what happened and then the court responds to what happened based on the outcome notice. So a case might be dismissed. Um, there might be a default judgment. 
those sorts of things. And that's the form that some of the attorneys are um, resistant to you completing? No, they're not resistant to the outcome notice. Um, they are resistant to the one that says, the form that's called a mediation agreement, which is, this is the deal, the deal form. And I mean, I, that's fine that they don't do that form. I don't think that that's a problem. And they can, they can settle however they want. Um, but it's how to capture the mediation outcome notice right so that when the court does its data collection at various times, what is really happening versus is it really no agreement? You want the courts to reflect the success of the, the mediation if you did, in essence, have an agreement, but just the documentation came down a little bit later. Is it possible? Um, Tell me, if we were to add something into that form, revise that form in such a fashion where that can be reflected, or maybe on the outcome for notice form where it can be reflected where there's maybe a new category rather than checking two boxes, no agreement and other, if we created a, an additional box which shows agreement reached parties using own forms or something to that effect. Tentative well, agreement reached parties uh, prefer to use own, own form, something like that. Without, do you think that could work? Um, I heard. I don't think it was John. The other person on the phone, I think, has an opinion on this. Yeah, it's Ken. Okay, Ken. Um, yeah, and that, number one, if they're close to agreement, but there's a few open uh, issues, I just set a, a request for continuance, a stipulated request for continuance. It'll give them 45 to 60 days to work out those things. Very rarely do I get a second mediation on those that continued that just have a few issues to settle. Um, I don't, and, and I just put that under other. In addition, uh, I have always checked two boxes. If there's full agreement and the payment plan is over six months, you just put it under other parties to submit stipulated judgment detailing process and procedures for payment plan. That's at least that's how I've been handling it. And the courts I deal with, they have no problem with multiple boxes being checked. Because one's an explanatory box and the other one is the decision box. Make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I guess what we're asking is, do we do something else? Yeah, you can add online payment to form a payment on the mediation agreement. A lot of the firms are accepting online payment. Yeah. I think it's worth uh, talking about this and just reflecting if there are better ways to use things. Uh, maybe right. it'd be worthwhile to talk to the court managers about what they're doing, because you bring up a good point. How is it being captured in terms of statistics? Um, but we're, and I think what Taj said, it may be case by case, uh, depending yeah. on what you can do. John, do you use the other uh, box in those situations? 
Um, but someone, and I, I'm, I apologize, I can't see who is speaking, made a, a suggestion of having a, another box, you know, just kind of a, an, another box uh, that applies to this direct situation. I, you know, maybe that might have the effect of, of kind of enforcing consistency across the board with this. So Taj, maybe we should get a group together to try to see if we can come up with something on that. That sounds good. I think obviously the best approach is for the mediators to have a consensus of how you guys would like these cases to be handled, whether it's checking two boxes, seeing about creating a, you know, a, a, another box that directly addresses this or, or um, whatever. And then once you guys have a consensus of what you think would work best in these types of, and capture the majority of these types of scenarios, I can take that idea to the court managers and say, hey, this is what works for the mediators to best capture what's happening in their mediations. Will this work for court reporting statistical purposes? And if so, then it's just a matter of changing the forms. Okay. Um, hey, Rocco, I thought I saw you about to say something just a moment ago, and I think I have mistaken uh, my apologies. I'm, I'm, a, uh, yeah, I'm a little confused. If, if we are discussing uh, agreement, but they don't just want to write up right then and there for whatever reason, to me, it's a simple answer. Talking about, you know, there's no agreement. If they talk about the stipulated judgment, what I usually do I put it into the body of me. What, are the, what is the chance if it was they're going to pay so much and so much and so much for so many months? I also add on the other that they want to the uh, plaintiff is going to submit to the stipulated judge that's been signed by both parties. So, the, you know, when I try to go after, I try to tell the plaintiff, at least you know I'm not that the attorney's going to do something wrong. But this is what you're agreeing to. That's what you should see. The wording would be different, but the, the amounts, dates, things out there, so it gives them a little extra comfort. I don't know that we need anything extra. I think what we have is sufficient. Again, this is the way I look at it. Okay, so you're not you're not sure that we would need to change the form so much. And yeah, I'm not sure you're cutting out a little bit, so we missed a little bit of what you said. I apologize. It's, it's the way it is. I've, I've tried with the phone. I've tried with my. It's, it's, it's just, you know. And, and, yeah. no, no worries. No worries. Um, all right. So uh, I want to go to the next thing. And this is actually, um, we're moving along. We have about 15 minutes left. So, Ken, you had a question about liability for volunteer mediators. And Susan has just been prompting me to don't forget to ask Ken <laughs> about this. Well, so, let's, yeah, let's we, get, we let's invited Ken to, um, he had a, uh, one of the questions or one of the issues that he brought up. So we thought during this hot topic, uh, because I am looking at the time that uh, if you would like to address it, uh, Ken sees it as yeah, a, a personal yeah, liability. Yeah, Susan, that's, yeah, Susan, that's fine. Here's what happened. We have a personal umbrella liability policy, and that protects us over our normal insurance on house and auto. So it came up for renewal, and they asked me a question. Do you volunteer? I said, yes. And then I told them who, 
And they said, okay, you need to get us the all, uh, errors and emissions and directors and officers liability policies for the county. I told them that wasn't going to happen. And so I sent Taj an email, and it wasn't only liability, because 12-228 addresses that. It's also immunity. And so here are the answers. Taj took it and sent it up to the people in the know, and here are the answers I got. Number one, if, if, since it's a volunteer program uh, approved by the county, it has to be listed in the county trust um, to make sure that if a mediator is sued, at least the county will provide the defense, all right? However, the question of immunity, whether it's judicial immunity, partial, or, you know, uh, whatever they call it, full immunity or partial immunity, um, the only answer I got was probable or probably. Um, the, <laughs> the only way that's going to be answered is, is definitively is when there's a case. And since I know how Rocco, how Rocco handles his mediations, that should come pretty quickly. Um, how, however, <laughs> how, however, the question of judicial immunity is in the federal court. I know of a justice of the peace today that is being sued in federal court. And the court has yet to decide on the issue of judicial immunity. So that's going to be interesting. Um, so first of all, whoever's suing the justice of the peace in the federal court is going to lose if it's within the scope of their job. Um, that's, going to be, that's the issue. This, is, this should be a summary judgment case, I would expect. Um, yeah, maybe the court hasn't ruled on it. Right. Yeah, but it is in federal court. Yeah. Um, he spent, the judge spent a half hour explaining the case to me. He explained the case to you? Yep. The JP? Yep. Um, the case or the judicial immunity? What he was be why he was in federal court, what he's okay. being sued for. Right. Right. So. Judicial immunity is the best immunity that there is um, in the land. Um, so we mediators do not have judicial immunity. The immunity we have is what we call limited uh, judicial immunity based on 1222.38, section F. Um, and section F, and look here, I'm gonna share my screen because I have it right here. All right. Everybody can see that this is, we just got pulled this off uh, the day before yesterday. Um, so that would be Monday, um, 1222.38. This is our mediation uh, confidentiality statute. And if you go down to F, it's not about confidentiality. It's really about liability of mediators. And a mediator is not subject to civil liability except for those acts or omissions that involve intentional misconduct or reckless disregard of a substantial risk of significant uh, rights and injuries to others. So that means you have to be doing some pretty bad stuff here, but it's not 100%, you know, that, that's why you got the answer probably, right, Ken? Yeah, but 
but but um, the it, civil liability and immunity from being ser, uh, sued are two different things, aren't they, Art? Well, anybody can you get can sued. You can be sued. Yeah. Anybody and, can and, get sued. And so the outcome might be be immunity, you know, but until it's tested, we don't know that. Right. And so what this is the way that I would anticipate that this would, would work is that um, if any of us were sued for something that we're doing as mediators, um, unless we're smacking somebody across the cheek, right, we would be defended um, by the court. Um, because we're acting as a part, we are an arm of the court itself. Um, and so I can't imagine a situation where people who are doing court functions, I mean, because we're essentially court staff and court staff also have uh, immunity under uh, federal law for doing their court staff jobs. Even if we make mistakes, we get honest mistakes. Um, basically we're covered for honest mistakes. It's essentially qualified immunity, which is what you're hearing about police officers these days. This has been around for a really long time. Um, and, uh, but I don't know what, you know, the courts, the justice courts policy is in these situations with their volunteer staff. Taj, it's a big question. I think you might wanna take it under advisement before you answer the question. Well, uh, that is in part the question that was then sent up the chain and that was the answer that, that, that came down. Um, it's, there's nothing specifically in our NCJC policies that address this issue at all that I was able to find. So this went up to, I think it was uh, Superior Court. Uh, I can't remember the- The risk department. Yeah, I can't remember the individual guy's name, but the, the department that handles these issues. And he sent it away, which is why it took a little while for me to get you an answer, Ken. He sent it away because he wasn't sure. So I don't think there's a definitive answer. Agreed. I think the chances of any of us having a liability for anything we do in our jobs as mediators is, remember the movie Dumb and Dumber where the guy asks a bombshell out on a date and she says, <laughs> Well, there's a one in a million chance, you know, and he's like, there's a chance, right? So you're um, giving me a chance. Right. So it's the, it's the one in a million chance. If you show up drunk, maybe, or uh, something like that, uh, if you get upset and, you know, clock somebody, even we almost had a fight in one of our mediations, um, not last year, but the year before. Um, you know, between so, two attorneys. Yeah, uh, actually, it was one attorney and somebody yeah. who worked for the attorney. Were you there that day, Ken? Okay. Uh, anyhow, yeah. so we almost had uh, you know, sort of knuckles ready to go uh, situation. Luckily, it came down really quick. But that's the only time in my 16 years of experience that we came that close. <laughs> anyway, but the idea is is that the chances are unbelievably slim. Um, and it would have to be really bad conduct um, outside the scope of what mediators do. Um, so, like, um, anyway, I, I think that the, I think 
I don't think your insurance company is going to accept that as the answer from us, uh, but that is the answer. Um, that it is. Yeah, actually, Art, what I did is I found I found higher levels of coverage at a reduced premium from another company that didn't ask me those dumb questions. Good. Use the marketplace to your advantage. Hi. Um, all right. So the last thing we've only got five minutes left. And so um, we did want to talk, we wanted to have a round table to see if there was anything else that um, you all thought would be important for um, us to discuss. If it turns into something big enough, maybe we could do another session um, next year or include it in some other stuff at another time. So is there anything um, in particular that um, you might be interested in discussing? Um, Art, I just have one comment since I, you couldn't hear me before. Mm -hmm. When you do get access to Cactus 18 in the system, you will have to change your password every four to six weeks. So have an extremely long list of passwords you want to use. Or just to have the last one be whatever your password is and then A, B, C, or the number one. No, 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 no. Just to clarify, you do not create a password to get into Cactus. The court managers have a password that is assigned to their court for you to get into Cactus. Yeah. Your password is to get that's, into the network. Right. Yeah. And yeah, that's what I was referring to. To get into the network, you're going to have to change it every four to six weeks, your password. Okay. okay. Excellent. Um, so I think one thing that we'll put on the table for next time is basically when do we tell uh, court staff what's happened in the mediation? When are times that that's appropriate and mm -hmm. inappropriate? Um, I think it's pretty clear that it's inappropriate in most cases, but sometimes they, they need to know for safety reasons. Um, another one is what is good faith? Um, yeah. The order to mediation says you're gonna participate in good faith, but good faith is uh, kind of like a wet bar of soap. It really slips through your fingers pretty easily and uh, it's, hard, it's hard to pin down. And then maybe somebody on this call mentioned something about uh, humor. Um, was that somebody on, uh, was that? Yeah, was that you, Scott? Was it somebody who mentioned the use of humor in mediation? Is that that was me. That was oh, Paul. Paul. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything in particular in our last two minutes that you want to um, talk about with regard to humor? Um, well, we're, um, not necessarily. This actually can become a um, a pretty uh, serious discussion and then, then you lose all the humor. But um, I, I did, I had sent an email to Taj, I think, and uh, about exchange of documents. I just had a case where um, they were, the two parties for several days before the mediation were exchanging different documents back and forth. Uh, and one of the parties only sent it to the court and so during the middle of the mediation, <clears throat> the one guy said, well, where is, um, you know, didn't you see this video or whatever he had? So I didn't know if that's something that should be a requirement or anything. 
the parties, uh, if they have information, they need to share it with each other in addition to the court. And you probably can't force them to do it, but recommend it or... Actually, they, they need to share those documents and videos. Anything that they might use as evidence, they need to share. Uh, because if they don't, then there's a good chance, it's not 100%, um, but there's a good chance that they won't be able to use that for evidence in the trial. Um, and filing those things with the court doesn't really do anything. They just- I know. They think it does. The, the, the parties think that it does, but- Right. Right. And, you know, typically, you know, we were talking what Taj was asking, what kinds of things do we need to see? And usually it's just the complaint and the answer, maybe, you know. And so if you have access to the file, um, with our limited access, we might not have access to evidentiary uh, documents that people are putting in. But I think that that is a rare case. So the answer really is, is that we don't have access to those as mediators because this isn't a trial or a hearing as to who's right and who's wrong. Um, and that this person does need to share that information with the other side because if they don't, there's a good chance that they won't be able to use that going forward. It's part of the rules of justice court and pretty much all civil court in Arizona and in federal court. Huh. Yeah, our, 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 on, when they share information or when the, the disclosure, all right, and it's usually, the pro pers usually don't do per, uh, disclosure. So when the plaintiff, usually in a, a, a law firm, submits their disclosure, you don't get to see everything in that disclosure. The only thing that the court does is scan, uh, at least for Cactus, just the cover page saying disclosure was given, was sent, X, Y, and Z. All right, so you, you, even in the file, you don't get to see all the evidence. Yeah, it's usually the unrepresented parties who will file the contract and they'll file the this and the that. Unless it's attached. I mean, sometimes these things are attached to the answers and the complaints. Uh, and then, of course, they're readily available. Well, I see that uh, we started at 11.03, and now it's 12.32, about to be 12.33. Susan, do you have any final comments before we, uh, as we wrap it up here? I want to thank all of you, Taj. Thank you very much. We were at, I didn't know you were going to show us that little PowerPoint, but that was very helpful. Yes. Um, everybody, thank you for your participation. Art and I had another list that we didn't get to, the pros and cons of telephonic mediation, maybe another time, but hope to see you in Justice Court coming up. So thank you so much and thank you, Art. Quick question before anyone leaves. I want to make sure I have all of the participants, um, particularly the individuals who are on the phone, because I do have the COA now and I'm going to send it out, but I am not going to group blast this one. I am only sending it since such a small number of people to the people that I actually know are here, and then I'll send the materials and the recording to everyone else. Um, and they, they can reach out to me after they've watched it, if they've done so. So I, I see Darius, I have Armando, I know Art and Susan are here, uh, Jason Porter, um, I know Kim Diamond was on the phone. Right. Um, uh, Paul, I'm assuming that's Paul Wimber, correct? Correct. 
Okay, great. I got you. We have three random numbers. Is there anyone I'm missing from the names I've just? Oh, said? Yeah, John Campbell. Okay, John. Yes, I will make sure you yeah. get a copy of it. And is there anyone else? Yeah, Scott Ramsey. Oh, Scott. Yeah, I had you down there already. Sorry, I didn't say your okay. name before. Okay. All right. Okay, yeah. then you guys will get the COA in like less than a minute. All right, thank you. Hey, thank uh, you. Uh, great timing. Thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing those uh, PowerPoints so that I can get on the hub to do my CNS training. That's the one I know that I need. <laughs> if you have any questions about that, just give me a call or send me an email. I'm happy to. All right. Take care, everybody. Great seeing you all. Thank happy you, Karen. All right. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you all. Bye-bye. Goodbye.